From Bristol, UK, I'm Pommy Harmer. I'm Melissa Shamam, and this is The Quarantine E. We have been bringing you this podcast for a whole year now to keep your spirits up. In each episode, we celebrate the ingenious responses to this virus crisis. We have in-depth interviews. And we always add a dash of the unexpected. And that starts with music like this track from the Old Bones Collective, or special band um, with us every episode. And thank you very much to the man in the band, the main man, Seb Gutierrez. Hello and happy birthday to us. Yes, it's exactly a year since we launched this podcast, Pummy, and we thought we should celebrate. We really did. And we've been downloaded in more than 40 countries, Melissa. And uh, I think we've had almost 200 downloads and views on YouTube since we posted all our episodes a couple of weeks ago. Well done, Pummy. It's really a lot thanks to you, our producer, editing each episode with so much care and attention. Thank you very much. Now, coming up in the show today, we've put together some of the highlights from the last 34 episodes. Yes, we'll hear from some of our interviewees and also some of the music and some of the greatest ideas that we've collected over this 12 months. It sounds incredible. So let's start with one of our favourite music tracks. Hey, everybody, we're Chloe Friendly and we're going to sing Happy Together. One, two, three, four... No matter how they cost the dice, 
family singing happy together this family have been performing a new song every couple of days for the last year and you can see every one of them on youtube now in this episode we want to celebrate the last year and let you hear again the range of people who kindly gave their time to come on the quarantini podcast over the year we heard from thinkers entertainers creatives politicians academics and nhs staff And when we listen back to find clips to bring you, we realise that their voices tell the story of the pandemic. We started the year back on April the 20th, 2020. That's a lot of 20s. uh, By hearing from Quentin Tarantino himself. So Quentin is a Bristol artist, a.k.a. real name, musician and actor Jules Lando, uh, who's also part of many Bristol bands and a friend of our friend, Seb Gutierrez. And he's acting online on YouTube as this alter ego of his Tintin Quarantino, which is like battling with the challenges of this crisis. And he talked to us about how it feels to be stuck in Bristol during the first lockdown. I obviously haven't met many people in lockdown, but most of the people I've seen out of the window, they're really cool. This whole social distancing thing, two meters apart, I've been practicing that my whole life. I mean, I don't want people getting closer to me than two meters. I'm not a huggy type person, but it doesn't mean that I'm cold. I mean, au contraire. I mean, it's just really quite beautiful weather you're having here. It's certainly warmer than New York. Wow, thanks there to Tintin Quarantino. Now, right from the very start, COVID seemed to unleash new springs of creativity. And in the next episode, we'll be talking about the amazing amount of creative ideas we found put into action by people from all over the world. So, from the crazy creativity of Jules Landau's character, Tintin Quarantino, we move now to another major theme of the year, and this one was kindness. Here is Dr. Amy Pollard from the Mental Health Collective talking about her project, Kindness by Post. You can sign up to send a card or letter with a message of goodwill to someone you don't know in the UK and have someone allocated to send a card or letter to you. So it's like a great big secret Santa for good wishes. Um, And for the lockdown, we're asking people to do messages of encouragement, particularly because I think encouragement is something that people really need. We're not aware of any other programmes of this kind. So there are lots of pen pal schemes and there are um, lots of initiatives which are about identifying a group of people who are sort of particularly vulnerable or get cast in a kind of victim role. We were more interested in drawing out the fact that we're all both vulnerable and strong. And, you know, I think that's one of the lessons that has come through really strongly with the fellowship is that actually, if you're not going to patronise people and are going to see human beings in the round, 
it's better to break out of that kind of here's the victim, here's the saviour model and respect the fact that, you know, those of us who have gone through really serious difficulties in mental health terms are often the ones who've who've got the most to offer. And in terms of, you know, writing a message of encouragement or sending best wishes and goodwill, lots and lots of people who take part find that, you know, they're drawing on their experience of having gone through difficult times too, because they know how it feels. They know how to be encouraging and how to know what to say. And it's a really powerful experience for people to know that all of those challenges that they've had you can kind of put to good use and that someone else can can benefit from. We know choirs are enormously popular and of course they had to go online through the pandemic with virtual sing-alongs popping up everywhere on different platforms. One of Bristol choir leaders, Diane Draper, wrote a new song, Joy, and got her choir, Sing With Soul, to sing it and raise money for local charities. Well, Joy is a fantastic new video that hopefully people are seeing online. It's me prancing around my kitchen, singing the hairbrush, and my choir members, all from their own locations, doing whatever brings them joy and singing along to the song as well. It's to raise £10,000 for two very, very, very needed charities at the moment. The first one, Nalari, supports Black and Asian people with mental health support and services like therapy and counselling. And they're about to see their workload increase by 30% due to Black and Asian people being overrepresented in the COVID-19 pandemic cases. And um, also Theatre Orchard is our second charity who are working with people in the community with theatre, creativity, you know, dance, writing, you know, all these things that are needed at this time to help people be less isolated and bring the community together. And it's such a beautiful song. Tell me about it because you wrote it. Is that right? I did. Yeah. So, you know, like everybody else, I'm kind of in isolation, in lockdown and Oh, homeschooling my eight-year-old boy with my husband and working from home um, and just trying to get through the day. And, um, you know, it's, it's been really, really challenging and also really, really amazing. And it's that, that kind of contradiction that we are feeling in our lives daily of like, ah, I can't do this. And wow, that's so special. And I've been finding joyful moments from planting new seeds in the garden with my son and starting to watch them grow. One morning, I just started singing Joy, you know. I think I was humming it. I said, I got joy, joy, joy in my life. Yeah, that works. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, And I just started writing the song. That's how Joy began. We just heard Dion Draper talk about Nilari, a mental health charity in Bristol, expecting their cases to go up by a third. And mental health was a big theme of the year. So we invited Josh Connolly to come on the show and talk about his take on how the pandemic was affecting us all. Josh had been running mental health workshops for many years and has a huge online following. Here he is. 
So people are talking about a fear of COVID-19, but then a fear of job security and all of these different fears that come with it. However, what I actually believe is that there's something a little bit deeper going on. A lot of us spend our lives, generally speaking, finding ways to avoid our difficult emotions, whatever that is. But we find ways to get busy so that we never have to sit too still and experience some of the emotions that we push down and bury. So I think what's happened in the lockdown period is we were forced in, we were forced to stay at home. And a lot of those mechanisms that we used as a way of escaping our emotions were taken away from us. And actually, I think what's happening for a lot of people is old emotions are bubbling up to the surface and we don't have a way to escape them. So I don't think many people understand that that's what's going on. As soon as the first lockdown ended last July and the shops began to open, there was long queues snacking around the shops. And here, the longest one in Bristol led to, unfortunately, Primark. We talked to Green Party councillor and ex-Lord Mayor of Bristol, Cleo Lake, and she had something to say about that. Seeing, for example, how now non-essential shops have been opened off the back of this lockdown period of COVID-19 and the disappointment I felt seeing queues and queues of people to consume items that are not the best quality, that are not designed to last, they are just throwaway. Of course, we know that for some people that is all they can afford and they do need items. So there is that element. But also we have to consider the detrimental effect on the environment of this kind of throwaway culture and also consider people who are making these clothes are not far off from being enslaved. And of course, as I say, you never know what discussions people are having in their homes when they used to go to the pub, for example, the community centre, all these other places that people gather. They discuss things. They discuss the issues. I would like to see in this time more of those people be less underground and come out a bit more with their views because their views are really important. People of colour were disproportionately affected by covid And Fuad Mohammed, CEO of ACH in Bristol, an organisation supporting refugees and migrants in the city, came on the show to talk really passionately about the vast contribution made by migrants. And he also wanted to tell us how they have become especially visible during the pandemic. It's just not the NHS only. If you think about what runs our economy, uh, the drivers, the uh, people who are running supermarkets, Uh, people who are involved in agriculture. So migrants and refugees are absolutely workers who we've just realized how important they are to our economy. Uh, recently, there have been reports that, that came out about how our agriculture is, is struggling because of lack of uh, enough workers. And if you think about it, a couple of months ago, just before the, the, the lockdown, the government have been saying we shouldn't have migration, we should impose more uh, rigid system on how we should let them people in. And now we realize that our life is dependent on a lot of key workers from this community. We should really recognize the contribution that they have made to the country uh, in terms of the NHS and other key work that they've done. I don't know about you, but for me, the months of July was one of the highlights of the year. And then we were delighted, so delighted, when Hassan Hashash agreed to come on the show. He talked to me about his experience of coming to live in London as a 13-year-old boy and about his exuberant art, which we were lucky enough to see at the Arnolfini in Bristol this summer. It was just fantastic. Gorgeous, colourful, full of energy, again 
one of the greatest moments of feeling the relief of the pandemic? I, uh, I mean, I was born in Morocco, came here at the age of 13, growing up totally in London, not outside London. So those things have come out in my work, in my lifestyle. So how is it for you to use all this kind of symbols and colours from Morocco, from North Africa? Because you, you were one of the first to do that in, in London. It might be just a way for you to get noticed, but how did it start? Coming to London in the 70s, not speaking English, so I think the first stage is like settling and adjusting. London was a different time, different world, you know, not just London, but all around the world. They had a different type of mix here because obviously they had people that they ruled like India, China, Caribbean and stuff. So my first friends were from this background and because I was the only Moroccan kid at school and the only Moroccan kid in the neighborhood. So I felt closer to somebody who looked similar to me or had the same story they'd come in trying to fit in. Yeah. And I think in the 80s, we sort of wanted to be part of London. So everybody, all my friends, some became a cook, somebody became a photographer, video maker, fashion designer, you know, music, blah, blah, blah. So because we didn't have places to go to, we didn't have, a, you know, a place to hang out, to express. We was hanging out in the street, in the corners, you know, because there was no youth clubs for us and stuff like that. So I think that's when it became a melting point. As far as all the colours and stuff, I suppose growing up in Morocco, it's very bright, very colourful place. So there's a memory of that and we're not scared of colour. And growing up in London, I always say it was like film noir. It's, you know, it's very much dark, grey. So it's almost coming from a Technicolor country to a film noir country. And I think in my work, it's probably escapism as well. You know, escaping the moment. So, you know, when I'm shooting, I'm in that moment of dressing up somebody else or, you know, finding a, a colorful backdrop. So I think it has, you know, all these elements of the journey. Then in August, we spoke to two academics. Professor Martin Parker was the first, and he just brought out a book collating ideas on how the world might be different post-COVID. And the second one, Professor Guy Standing, talked to Melissa all about his passion for universal basic income. But the interview of the month has to go to Seb Gutierrez, who's been so kindly allowing us to play his track by his band, The Old Bones Collective. And it wasn't until after we'd chosen the music to be our opening music that we realised what it was called, Hot Flu. Musicians and artists have found the pandemic really extremely difficult and many were left unsupported by any of the government schemes. So I was surprised when Seb spoke to Melissa about having to step out of his comfort zone to perform on his own. Here he is. Chris at the Royal Oak, the landlord of the Royal Oak, which is a, a pub, my local pub just down the road from, from where I live in Bath, just texted me once and he's, he's signed up for the uh, Save Our Venue campaign, crowdfunding, helping venues throughout the pandemic. And he, he texted me and said, oh, do, do you fancy doing a gig, you know, to help out with the campaign? I'm not that kind of musician. I never played solo stuff. I've always collaborated with people and, and this is where I belong. So therefore, certainly, you know, doing a gig by myself, who's going to want to watch me strum my guitar you know um, what am I going to do and it sounded a little bit ludicrous and eventually I thought about it and I was like well I'll tell you what that's a challenge I tried to do that a gig uh, by myself my son Oscar joined me on drums and we did some old bones collective tunes and uh, we had a bit of a jam and I played a few few tunes by myself and it was a, it was a great experience a lot of people followed the gig watched the gig I think the kid factor played a big <laughs> role in that you know, it's a kid playing drums <laughs> he did a fantastic job he had a really really 
really good uh, feedback from a lot of drummers. But but yeah, we did the campaign. I think we raised a bit of money. That was really good. I think Chris was quite quite happy with that. And then we did a few more after that. Over the year, the NHS, of course, played a crucial role in our lives. We clapped for them. We heard how the three lockdowns in the UK have been put in place to reduce pressure on the NHS staff. But in October, the NHS was also struggling and thousands of NHS workers took to the streets across the UK to demand better wages. You would say, you know, what's more normal than that? For the staff left on their knees by this coronavirus pandemic. Here are a couple of nurses talking about it. As a society, what do we value? If you're left or right, deep down inside, what do you value? For me personally, I value safety. I want my family to be looked after in their time of need. I value a second chance if I mess up and to receive non-judgmental care for those looking after me. There are 100,000 vacancies across the NHS right now. What other organisation would you expect to function with 100,000 people missing? We can't do that. And that's one of the reasons, Okay, yes, if we need to do one day of strike, (laughs) if we need to do one day of strike so that we can have the proper investment in recruitment and retention and, you know, making working in the NHS, you know, a national treasure to be something that people aspire to. By the end of November, we had heard many stories about food banks running out of food and schools fundraising for laptops for their students to use at home. So we spoke to Dr Gemma Burgess from Cambridge University, who told us all about the digital divide. One of the things that the COVID pandemic has done is shone the light on food poverty in this country. And, you know, that's been in the media a lot. So for many people, even those basics of putting food on the table isn't possible. And unfortunately, for many people, it's a choice between food or broadband. And it's people are going to choose those basics over an internet connection. And that's really come home for the families who've had to homeschool. So, you know, facing really difficult choices Many people have access, for example, to a smartphone, but you can't, children can't do their homework assignments on a smartphone. People can't apply for jobs on a smartphone. So for many people, this is a really stark choice. And for many people, this is is a function of poverty. Um, that that mean that having an affordable home broadband, having the kit that goes with it, is just beyond many people's reach. Then to celebrate the end of 2020, a year that a lot of people were quite happy to let go, right, Pummy? And to celebrate the start of 2021, we decided to have a bit of fun and to do a whole bonus episode in French, my native language. I wrote the script with Pummy and she read her part um, with a beautiful perfect British accent and she says um, she still has absolutely no idea what it was about but I don't believe her I know she knows what it was about but I think her French is a bit better now right Um, the episode has been very popular for me and I'm thinking of making you doing another one (laughs) oh dear et le plus souvent c'est de la musique Notamment avec cette chanson des Old Bones Collective qui s'appelle Hot Flu. En anglais, ça veut dire la grippe chaude. Merci à Seb Gutiérrez et son groupe de nous avoir laissé utiliser cette chanson dans chaque épisode. Hello et bienvenue dans notre épisode bonus en français. 
at the start of 2021, we began to think about how organisations might be preparing for another season. And we heard from Sunita Welch from the Brecon Beacons about how they're preparing to manage the Brecon Beacons National Park. Sunita was very keen for us not to make too many judgments on the people who visited in their huge numbers. So we had a, what we described as a little bit as a deep dive into Instagram. But, you know, I'm an interpreter as well by training, connecting people, telling the stories. And, you know, we have some concepts in, in that profession about universals, about family, about love, about relationships, actually about death as well. Those are all universal concepts that everybody the world over experiences. And what we found out was if, if you got past the pictures of the, you know, the beer cans and the, and the barbecue fire behind you, people were posting pictures of reunited with my loved one, out with my husband, out with my boyfriend today, you know, occasionally scattering uh, relatives ashes and things like that. But they're all universal concepts. And I think it was, it was a bit sad that the media portrayed everything so negatively. And don't get me wrong, there were challenging behaviours um, of people visiting the national parks and many other places, particularly our coastal areas in the UK and anywhere with water. But, you know, those universals that underpin how we all live our lives were present in those Instagram pictures. And I think it's, it'd be use, it would be good for people next year to step back and remember why people were wanting to come out into nature. Nature felt like a safe place. You know, government was saying you are safer outdoors. So people came to be reunited with their families in safe spaces. And I think we need to remember that. Finally, we have a clip from three women involved in the film industry. This was a fascinating example of how much the pandemic has stepped up change. Here is Emma Tyrell talking about finally getting production companies to hire local people rather than using Western crews to go overseas. Very important indeed. I think just on the back end of what Jay Jacqueline was saying about um, about other countries and filming locally, that's one good outcome from COVID. It forced people to use local film companies because the shoots had to go ahead and there were last minute trainings for local people. So for me, that was one positive. I'm doing a series at the moment. They obviously need experts. So, for example, Gail would be a DOP that would still go out to look after the shoot. But ultimately, all of the crew are all local. And that was a shift with the production company I'm working with just because of COVID. Like Literally all the staff are local South Americans. And, you know, their families are getting involved. And that's one really good thing about COVID. It has forced an issue that we've been talking about for a long time. And it's a lesser carbon footprint as well. You know, we're not sending huge crews overseas. So it's great for budgets because budgets are getting lesser and lesser now. It always comes down to money. And there we have it. A whole year telling the story of the pandemic we have all lived through together. I've really enjoyed making this show. I don't think either of us ever thought we'd be making it for a whole year, though, do you? Absolutely not. I mean, it also feels bizarrely very long and like it disappeared in a snap of a moment. But really well done, Permi. That was a wonderful selection and very much so many hours of work from you, our main producer for that show. So I feel like it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very emotional summary. It is actually, because it, it, it really, because it was, every episode was made in the time, in the moment. It really does tell the story. 
So now we go to our roundup. But before we do that, let's have another musical favourite. What have we picked, Melissa? So it's a very special track that came out in the summer by a band from Bristol, but from all over the world in a way, Massive Attack. And they created a series of songs that are not only songs. So this track is sung by the Young Fathers, a group from Scotland. They're very close friends to Massive Attack. They've two together and they have a lot in common. But the, the, the track features experts telling us about what we need to change in our times. And this one is with our guest, a guy standing, talking about the need for a basic income. In the past 40 years, in almost every country in the world, the owners of physical, financial and intellectual property have taken a growing share of the income, while the share going to people reliant on jobs and labour has shrunk. Today, a tiny, obscenely wealthy plutocracy and a well-padded salariat confront the growing precariat consisting of millions of people with bits and pieces lives, stagnant and uncertain fluctuating earnings, and living on the edge of unsustainable debt. Those trends are the result of policy decisions that have made economies and societies more fragile and less resilient to shocks. They have raised eight giants, block the road to a good society. Inequality, insecurity, debt, stress, precarity, automation, extinction, and neo-fascist populism. Recurrent pandemics
That was Guy Standing, Young Fathers and Massive Attack. And now it's time for our roundup. Let's start in Bristol. I'm doing the usual good news from Bristol numbers for me. Bristol cases numbers continue to decrease. We're one of the lowest in the country, but we still continue to decrease. The infection rate is now 27 new cases per 100,000 inhabitants. And that's for the beginning of the month. This is lower than the previous seven days. And then England's national rate, which is at 39 new cases per 100,000 inhabitants over the same period. The number of people uh, in our local hospital is also decreasing and is currently of 39 people. Also, a total of 187,000 people have now received one or two doses of the vaccine. Fabulous. Now, the creativity and sheer determination by some people to do something to help during the pandemic doesn't let up. We will hear about another Tom Moore in a minute. But first, here in Bristol, we've got a 13-year-old who's just cycled the equivalent of the height of Everest. It took Theo Hester more than 16 hours to complete the leg-sapping challenge of climbing just over 29,000 feet or 8,500 metres. And the Tour de France winner... Geraint Thomas congratulated him after he'd finished. He managed to raise £9,000 for St Peter's Hospice after hearing that they were struggling. And he heard this from his mum, Fiona, who volunteers there. He used an app called Swift, spelt with a Z, to cycle the height of the mountain on a turbo trainer bike and said it was harder than he'd ever imagined it would be. I can imagine how hard it would be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it's so impressive. Oh, what a wonderful story. Thank you. Incredible. And following in the footsteps of Captain Sir Tom Moore, 89-year-old RAF veteran John Wilcock has raised more than £34,000 for charity by roller skating laps of his courtyard outside his flat in Warwick. It's the first time he's got his skates on since 1951 and he's aiming to do 90 laps of his courtyard before turning 90 next January. When he first set out, he hoped to raise £500 for Fair Share, a charity which redistributes food to those in need and also reduces waste at the same time. But he's surpassed that figure almost 70 times over. Isn't that amazing? Incredible. Wonderful. Inspiring. And in England still, here is a beautiful initiative for me that I really loved hearing from. Some people suffering from, you know, lingering COVID symptoms are being referred to an unlikely place, operas. And opera singers are willing to help people with long COVID. That's an initiative from the English National Opera. Uh, And it has indeed launched a new online programme to help people suffering from this debilitating COVID symptoms, especially uh, shortness of breath. So designated by the opera and medical expert, participants in the six-week breeze programme are taught exercises to improve posture and breeze control. People also learn to sing lullabies, which can help to alleviate the anxiety that stems from struggling to breathe. I think we should play one of those lullabies when we can get hold of one. Now, this final one is not really much to do with COVID, but it is to do with Paris, and I thought we should include it, Melissa, just for you. The spire of Notre Dame, 
which was nearly destroyed by a fire a couple of years ago, is being crafted again, and this time using a thousand giant oak trees, many of which are older than the original spire. Lumberjacks have scoped out the cathedral forest for oaks that stand tall and straight up to 30 metres high. It's taken 250 years for the trees to get to this height. And the chief architect is a man called Philippe Villeneuve. And he said they decided to use wood rather than the more modern materials as it's extremely durable. And the wood used from these trees might even last longer than the life they had as trees. So there you go. A little roundup from Paris. Yeah, I used to live very near Notre Dame when I was a student in a very small flat for with three of us, much more than it should have. But I still can't believe that happened. So it's wonderful news. OK, and now it's time for something completely different. A dash of the unexpected somehow. In this anniversary episode, we wanted to thank again uh, Seb Gutierrez and our very dear All Bones Collective, who we hope are going to be able to play again soon, now that pubs are reopening. And especially to thank them for letting us play their beautiful track, Hot Flu, every time. Here is a track called The Getaway. Thank you. 
that's it for the Quarantini this week. We'll be back next time with a roundup of ideas, music and positive news for you all. In the meantime, we'd really love to hear from you. And if you want to say happy anniversary, you can get hold of us by emailing us, for instance, at the Quarantini podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. This episode was hosted by me, Melissa Shamam, and... And hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer. Thank you so much for listening for a whole year of episode 34. And stay safe. <laughs>